I think it came almost very organically. People that had already worked with me and that trusted that I was someone who was reliable and extremely hardworking. I think that gave a lot of trust to people to say, okay, I'm interested. You know, I'm, I'm going to support this. And, and honestly, on our first deal, it was almost a step of faith because we had never done it, right? And so I look back and, and there is this huge level of gratitude towards those people. And obviously they're profiting heavily from that trust. If you're an active real estate investor and you're looking to do larger deals, you're in the right place. We are gonna go and take the conceptual type of stuff that you listen to from other real estate podcasts and bring it down to the tactical, the nitty gritty, the actual actionable types of things that other real estate investors that went big did to grow their own real estate empire. You're listening to the Go Big Live podcast. I'm your host, Matt Druin. Hey, what is up everybody? My name is Matt Druin. I'm host of the Go Big Live Real Estate Investors podcast. Today, I have a, a 50% partner to a previous guest we had, had on the show. I'm going to keep her a little bit mis mysterious right now, but get ready for an illuminating episode with the incredible Paula Nichols. Half of the powerhouse behind Apogee Capital, Paula and her husband have a proven track record in the realm of commercial multifamily real estate. Paula's portfolio includes over 400 units across Texas and Oklahoma and nearly 1,000 additional units as a limited partner. And this doesn't even include the 800 plus build to rent units Paula has managed in pre-development. With a background in management consulting for banking and utility sector sectors, a BS in business administration, finance, a real estate license, and certified scrum master, we'll have to talk about that, scrum master badge, Paula's expertise knows no bounds. This is a perfect opportunity to tap into Paula's unique uh, perspective and as her husband promised, engaged in a lively conversation. So th thank you for coming on the show, Paul. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Matt. That's a great intro. I appreciate you going through all of the detail. So before before we get into your origin story, you know, my producer, Jess, like pulls bios and that's He's like, what's this thing Scrum Master? That sounds interesting. I'm going to put that on the bio. So tell us what that is. It's actually like a project management framework, and there is quite of extensive classes and different certifications in order to how to manage projects in the most effective um, and efficient way. So that's kind of what it is in Scrum, you know, it's the title of it. So, Okay, got it. All right. So I like to start the show with the same question for all of our guests. You were born and now you're here. What happened in between? Oh, I love that. A lot happened in between. <laughs> uh, I was born in Colombia. Uh, I think I share that in every episode that I record. Uh, I am very much Colombian and you'll hear it in my accent. And so my parents, we moved to Florida in 2006. Then uh, I went to college at A&M and that's where I met my lovely husband. And that's where I studied finance and I fell in love with real estate and numbers. And that's just kind of how I transitioned to do management consulting. And part like as a hobby, we started to invest in real estate and we saw how our wealth grew exponentially and how we could give access to that type of wealth to our family and friends. And so that's kind of long-term goal plan was to scale into multifamily. And that's what we were able to do. So. That's very quick summary, but. So let's let's talk a little bit about the partnership. All right, you, where'd this idea of real estate come from first? Did this just like apropos of nothing, you both looked at each other one day and were like, oh, let's do real estate. And they both came out of your mouth at the same time. Tell me about that. I think, and you said this earlier before the recording, each person has their own truth. And so for me, it started when I was, 
you know, 15, we moved to Austin with my parents and she, my mom wanted a home. And I remember being basically her unlicensed realtor. And so I was just passionate <laughs> to go see homes by myself. I was 15. I was the one getting the mail at home. And so there was like this very early interest in real estate uh, and interior design for me, uh, you know, personally. And so that was kind of like the early signs of interest from a financial and real estate perspective for me. And when we got married, when Jonathan and I got married, his background is an aerospace engineer. So really nothing related to real estate, but he's very good with numbers. And we got married and we loved each other, but we were like, okay, what is going to be something that we do together, right? He's a runner, I'm a runner, but we run separately. And so we're like, okay, running is not a common hobby. Like, how can we do something fun together? And so that's when we started learning through Reach That Poor Dad and through other uh, mediums, we were able to start learning about real estate. And at that point, we had bought a small home, like our personal home, and we decided to explore the opportunity of buying a fourplex, mainly to start scaling. And so it took a lot of learning, a lot of podcast listening, a lot of book reading, but that's kind of, it, it, it all started as a hobby and this common fun thing to do together after work. Wow. Common fun thing to do together after work. Fun. fun. How did you make it fun with you? And how do you continue to make it fun between the, between the two of you at Apogee? Oh, that's a really great question. I, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes it gets very much like a work day, right? Like we are grinding and there is very stressful moments. And, but I think that we have very complementary uh, personalities. And so my husband, he's constantly working from 4 a.m. to 8 p.m. or, you know, 8 p.m. That's his working hours. And for me, I'm very much eight to six, but I'm going to be like full on versus kind of picking up calls or doing other things. And so we have very different styles of work. And so Jonathan breaks my very solid and structured, you know, schedule versus I, so I'm learning from him to have a little bit of fun throughout. And then I am learning to start my days earlier or something like that so that we can budget in those fun times and go to dinner in the evenings or something like that. So it's fun. And it's fun because we are also different in the way that we perceive things. And so I feel like we constantly learn from each other and that makes our partnership even stronger as a married couple and as partners. Yeah. So let's talk about that first big deal. You had some smaller multifamily under your belt. What was that seminal moment with, oh, let's do large multifamily or commercial? How did you make like how did you make that switch mentally in your mind in terms of how you wanted to go direct and it change your direction and go big? Yeah. I think there is like serendipitous moments uh, in life at times. And I still remember one of our friends, we went to grab coffee. I was into residential, right? We were going to do the stack method, do the house. I used to do all these bigger pockets perspective. And it was mainly going to see as a hobby while I pursued my career in consulting and my husband in aerospace. Mm -hmm. But then one of her friends, while we were drinking coffee, she mentioned, oh, like I'm learning about multifamily. And I remember telling her like, hey, Jen. I want to learn more about that because if I do this full time, it will have to be at that level because I feel like multifamily really leverages the skill sets that we learned in corporate America. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I'm working with private equity firms. Uh, you know, I had transitioned to development as a full time job. And so it's like, OK, if I'm going to jump in 100 percent, it has to be scalable. And I want to be able to bring the skill sets that are a little bit more managerial and deal making versus like day to day, like how do I talk to the landlord or whatever? Mm-hmm. And so that's 
kind of what instigated just a friend literally mentioning the idea that people could buy multifamily. And then from then it took a few months for us to like read books and learn. And ultimately we decided to go through a program, like a training program, just because we knew we were going to be dealing with other people's money. And that was going to be the first time we did that. So we wanted to be cautious and be super responsible by learning from experts. And so that kind of really enabled us to open our full mind to, okay, this is possible. We are able to do it. We have the skill sets and we also have the advisory team that can help us guide our decision making. And so I feel like that's how we opened our minds and took that step into multifamily. So before you did your first larger deal or what was large to you, you hired an advisor, a coach. I'm just assuming was his first name Michael? That That is correct. Yeah. He, and last name Blanc? That is correct. Yes, you are 100% <laughs> right. Well, we did like, I remember doing like this spreadsheet where we evaluated different aspects of different programs. And for us, it was a big investment. And so we wanted to make sure that it aligned with our goals as well as our values. And so that's really why we chose Michael Blanc. Absolutely. So yeah, when I first hired my first coach, now I was really super hard-headed. I call myself a hammerhead. My first 13 years, I did everything self-taught. And it one is I felt all the doubt and uncertainty that a, uh, a lonely entrepreneur faces. And then secondly, I made a ton of mistakes that probably took years off my life. And I lost a lot, like lost a lot in opportunity cost in the process as well. That was definitely, that's definitely a smart thing for you to do. Fast forwarding a little bit, all right, you're in the program, you feel confident in terms of start looking for deals and that sort of thing. Maybe you had been talking on building your OPM or other people's money and capital, positioning yourself as a capital raiser. But tell me about like how you first started looking for that first bigger deal. Yeah, uh, so it was a long journey. Basically, Jonathan was the main contact with the brokers. And so he would be reaching out and we live in Dallas. And so it is an extremely hot market, right? We were competing against very um, experienced operators who knew personally these brokers. And so Jonathan was very active in like developing the relationship, but it's still, we were the new people in this market. And so we spent almost about a year searching for the right deal. And I think one thing that we do well, although it may uh, slow us down at times, is that we're very cautious when it comes to underwriting. And so we would look at underwriting assumptions for other groups and we'll be like, we just don't necessarily personally make sense of that. Mm -hmm. And I cannot sell this or provide this as an opportunity to my investors because I'm not 100% sure. sure. And so we were very conservative on underwriting. And I think that, you know, that also didn't help when our offers will come the first year. And so through that, as we network, we found a couple of friends who we developed a good relationship with, and they found the first deal in Oklahoma. And they invited us in to be general partners. It was just a few of us, like four or five, and that was 100 units. And that was a really great opportunity for us. We were very thankful um, to finally, you know, bring our investors in. We had them lined up. And so it was a very successful deal. It's actually, you know, up to today, it's still performing extremely well. But then after we did, that's when we were like, okay, we are ready to do our own deal. And that's kind of what we count as our first official deal where we were not only part of the GP team, but we were the lead partner. And so that is 75 units, 2012 in College Station. And so that happened 
pretty close after we closed the Oklahoma deal. So, wow. So Michael's law of the first deal actually is true, right? It worked. Yeah, it did work. We were, it was great. We actually traveled, we were traveling when we got that under contract. And so we worked half of our trip, but it was very soon after. So, okay. So, how did you find this? It's a 75 unit deal, right? Yeah. So, how'd you find uh, it? So, um, Jonathan spoken to a broker. I mean, he's, he was talking to probably 50 brokers, right? And so one of, he was from Lubbock, which is very different, but he had told him that we were Aggies and we will be interested in going to college station as a market since we already know the market and really believe strongly in that, although tertiary is still very strong. Mm-hmm. And you remember that and probably a few months after Converse, maybe it has been actually, I said a few months, it's probably been a year after kind of continuing that conversation. He received the call and said, like, hey, I have a seller in College Station. You want to come and, you know, see the property. And so we both went and it's the property. I'm biased, but it's beautiful. It's like this townhome style, which I'm, I'll be marketing as a will to rent uh, product. And it's just it's wealth in 2012 is very nice. And the story behind that was that the current owner was self-managing. And we actually got to meet with him and his wife and got to just develop a good relationship, got to kind of ask them questions, share about ourselves. And overall, like the business plan was very simple. The market rents were very like much higher than the current rents on the property. And so we could literally without doing anything, but putting the right property management, we can increase the rents by over a hundred dollars. And so it, it made sense. It was a very conservative approach. And yeah, that's how we first came across that deal. Yeah. So where did this, so where did this broker relationship come from? I know Jonathan. So actually let's back up a little yeah. bit. What were the, what was the split at this point in time? Cause things may have changed at, at Apogee, but what was the split in terms of the roles and responsibilities you had between each other in this partnership? So I can know which questions to, to yeah, ask. Yeah. That's a great question. So his main focus is like broker's relationship. And although I love like going to meetups and like talk to people. He is the one who's like constantly like underwriting and giving feedback to the broker. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm still pretty like I can underwrite just fine, but that's not where I find my joy on a daily basis. So for me, it's mainly like investor relationships, making sure that our branding is being communicated across the different platforms. And then I also help with the asset management. Mainly on our short-term rentals, I oversee that and I'm implementing that as well in our multifamily. And so that's kind of where it divides. That's how we try to divide and conquer in a way. Excellent. So the so now I understand. So Jonathan owned that like channel of the broker relationships, that sort of thing. So at what point in time did you start to notify these investors you had lined up on this on this 70 plus unit deal around Lubbock? Yeah. So very early on, as I said, we were traveling, we were actually in Europe. And I remember like from where we were in Paris in this small hotel and we were just kind of working like crunched up. And then we went to a coffee <laughs> shop. So we'll be traveling. And I was working on our investor presentation right away. And I'm very neat picky. And it's probably my consulting background. I'm neat picky on our presentations on how we present data to investors. And so I wanted to make sure that it was amazing. And so as soon as we had it on the LOI and we had our debt, kind of spurred away. We started sending the preliminary numbers to our investors. We had already had a relationship, right? This deal was in 506B. And so we had our list of investors and we were saying like, hey, we have something coming, just be on the lookout. And then we send the information about, hey, this is what 
the projected returns are looking at right now. And then we send our full deck of this is what the market is. This is all the research we've done. These are our comps. And so that was our online way of reaching out. But then also one of our biggest investors came through uh, a friend. And I mean, it, it was a big piece of, of our equity raising. And so just getting to know friends of friends who are interested in investing was like a key part of that. So what was the total raise for this for this deal? Oh, so it was an 8 million total, 80%, 20, so I guess 20% of 8 million. I think we personally raised like over a million and a quarter. And then we had other friends who came in as partners as well. So, Okay, so you had other friends that maybe come in as like general partners yes, on the deal? Yes, we had like two or three, two actually, two additional okay. partners, yeah. yeah. Great, so talking the subject of how did you build that investor database? Because Jonathan was a former rocket scientist and you were in consulting and that sort of thing. How did you start building that and having those conversations with those people you ended up presenting this opportunity to? Yeah, I think it has to be a little bit of trial and error. I've never been in a position of raising equity for profit or nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And so, but I'm always really passionate about what I do. Like any, like even when I was in consulting, I was very excited for being there and doing that. And so when it came to real estate, it wasn't a difference, right? I would, people tell me like, hey, what did you do yesterday? I'm like, oh, I'm working on this thing or I just learned this. And so <laughs> I'm not even doing it intentionally to pick curiosity. It's just that I love real estate and I love what I do. And so when people ask me like, hey, Paula, like what have you been up to? Or I had good friends and mentors that, we're like, hey, what are you doing with your, like, you know, you're leaving your job to do what? Mm -hmm. And so I think it came almost very organically. People that had already worked with me and that trusted that I was someone who was reliable and extremely hardworking. I think that gave a lot of trust to people to say, okay, I'm interested. You know, I'm, I'm going to support this. And, and honestly, on our first deal, it was almost a step of faith because we had never done it. Right. And so I look back and, and there is this huge level of gratitude towards those people. And obviously they're profiting heavily from that trust. <laughs> so, I mean, that that's the best win situation. Now, let me ask you this. What, in terms of you and Jonathan talking about building the first, let's say, prospect list, was this like you and Jonathan sitting at the kitchen table and being like, okay, let's go through our phones. And ah, John Smith, I think he just sold this company for $2 million. I think he'd be a great fit. Like how did that process work from actually developing the list of like who to contact? Because you had to have names or people in mind. Tell me about that. That's a great question. And it is until now that we're getting to be more creative and probably more organized when it comes to our investor list and adding to that investor list. As of today, we've just been literally friends and family who know us and we have already developed a relationship with. And so originally I just had like, I remember going through my text messages and being like my contact list and being like, oh, yes, I talked to, you know, I remember Tom telling me about bigger pockets or I remember having I was in a call for my work and he was another consultant and he heard that I was doing an appraisal for a house. So I needed to leave early. And I remember he saying, hey, I invest in real estate, too. I see, you know, and so it was kind of like reconnecting with old friends. And I went through my contact list. So that's not the most recommended way. You should probably get that. CRM and use that to track your touch points and how often you are talking to that person and what is their level of interest. But for us, originally, it was just 
our friends and our contacts and literally reaching out to them and be like, hey, just wanted to share with you about what we're doing. And, you know, if you know of anyone who's interested in creating passive income, we're happy to share it with you. We also had some times when we sat down and presented our deck to people. That's weird. I am not going to do that again. <laughs> I think I did it a couple of times with really close friends. And I was like, I feel like I'm selling something and it feels very <laughs> not organic. I know. I know. Like, but it's a presentation. It's great. And so I don't know. It may work for, you know, the listeners if they're trying to raise equity. But for me, it just works better on like an organic way. And then once they're ready to, to learn or answer any specific questions, that's kind of when I send them a deck or more content, um, but usually conversations. So you completed the raise. We got a couple of minutes uh, left on the recorded version of this here. So tell me about like the next step for there and bring it full circle for us on this deal. And then your kind of takeaways and what this deal did for you on influencing you where you are right now. I think the biggest part that deal made for me was that mindset. Like I was able to say, oh, yes, I am able to do this, which Maybe like most people don't struggle with that, but that was something that I couldn't believe, right? Like we were, we are now owners of a property in Coal Station where we lived for many years and it's a beautiful property and it's performing and it's creating a lot of value to residents and to investors. And we just did that and we're executing to the business plan. And so uh, for me, it was like a radical change of like, I'm ready for more and I know that I can accomplish this. Um, and I know that there is other investors waiting out there to invest their funds. And so for me, that was the main thing. And I will say that the second thing that was very revealing was, okay, like what is, now that we have this, what, where do we go next? And not from just fast paced greediness It's more like, how can we be a strategic? Now we're able to know what we can do. How can we grow that in a very healthy and scalable way? So now I have to ask it, end with this here. So as I told you, when we originally were in the green room here before we hit the record button, most of our listeners are investors that maybe have a couple of small multifamilies under their belt and they want to swim upstream into larger commercial deals, whether it's multifamily or industrial or retail or whatever it is. They want to do something big. What's your kind of words of advice for helping them break through that and break into that world? I guess the first thing is to acknowledge how much they have accomplished as of today. So even if they have a fourplex or a duplex or higher residential single units you have, like that's a big accomplishment. And you probably have a lot of lessons that you know that are going to be able to be leveraged when you go big. And so I feel like being very comfortable and confident in what you have already accomplished is very important. And then number two is that people out there are doing it and you want to be able to do it in a way that is responsible. And so there is a lot of operators out there who just got into big deals or who put their names as like we're co-owners of thousands of units. And and that's good. I mean, I respect that. But I will say be conscious that not that starting small is not something bad and that just because you have your name tagged to thousands of units, it does not mean that you're actually earning or profiting from that deal. And so I will say think big, dream big, go for it, right? Step into that because you probably have a lot of those skill sets that are required to go into bigger multifamily or any real estate deal. Sweet. Paula, thank you so much for coming on. If you are listening to this right now on Apple or Spotify and you want to get on the exclusive live Q&A with our esteemed guests like Paula Nichols, like Gino Barbaro, Reed Goosens, Matt Faircloth, all of the major titans that are in 
the larger commercial real estate deal space, you got to join our Facebook group. It's the Go Big Live Real Estate Investors Group. Be sure to join and I'll let you into the group so you can get access to this in future rounds. So thank you very much, Paul. I really appreciate you for being on the show today. Thank you, Matthew. I really enjoyed it.